there we go. We're back again for another episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack and we're a couple of days away from the beginning of the new Premier League season. And it's been a good summer after the Euros, literally just spending time away from watching football, not really following pre-season, not really seeing who's been in and out of, of transfers besides the last week or so. So it's going to be fun to really talk about how we've had three major transfers in the last week around the world and two involving Premier League clubs, which will be amazing. And today on the podcast, we've got two of our uh, Friday night football regulars. So we've got Connor, who's been someone that I've met up this summer personally. I haven't seen him play before, but he's a nice guy. We sports Birmingham City. And we've got Neil, who you met before from our Euros preview um, earlier in the summer. And they were both on the winning team of our Hall of Fame Mania event uh, on the Iron Warriors. So Connor and Neil, welcome to you both. Hope you're all doing well. And let's get into today's episode. So first things first, I think we can only start with Lionel Messi. Connor, what more can we say about Lionel Messi finally getting uh, his transfer to PSG? Only three teams in for him that could really afford his wages. Messi really wanted to stay at Barcelona by offering to cut his wages by 50%, but nothing really happened in the end because La Liga couldn't couldn't keep him and Barcelona couldn't keep him. So let me just hear your first thoughts, Connor, on um, Lionel Messi signing for PSG. First and foremost, I think it's sad. Sad that he has to leave Barca. Um, I did see something, I don't know how true it is, that even if he played for free, Barca's wage structure was too expensive, was still over the La Liga cap. So regardless, he had to leave. But it's, it's sad to see a club so big has been so poorly run and then they effectively have to leave their best ever player, let him leave for free. And it's it'll be exciting. I think I'm a bit disappointed, if I'm honest, that he's gone to PSG. Definitely. Um, but I suppose if they keep Mbappe, which I don't know if they will, and then they've got Neymar as well, it's that's going to be exciting to watch. They've got, yeah, got, got so much strength in depth in that attacking lineup with Di Maria, Cardio on the bench. Um, you've got people that are all around the club really thinking that this is the year that PSG could actually win the Champions League because they've got the likes of Lionel Messi along with Mbappe and Neymar coming into uh, the season as well. And realistically, Neil, how do you kind of see this season going for Lionel Messi? Do you reckon he'll need time to like bed into the French league? Do you reckon he's going to be perfectly fine? Or do you reckon it's going to be an onslaught from Lionel Messi with the rest of the PSG attack? I think the thing is with PSG, they're in a league that there's only really a couple of teams in there. So I'm sure he'll find his feet straight away. Um, it's when we get to the Champions League, we'll see whether he's got what it takes. Now, as he's getting older, that may be a factor, but I think he can still do it. Um, PSG have also strengthened up the defence. They've got Donnarumma in goal. I believe they've brought Hakimi right back. They've yeah. got Ramos on a free transfer. And also, I, they've got is it Hernandez on the left-back as well. So they've got a very strong defence now, which means they're just going to attack even more than they've done before. So... I'd expect them to be challenging for the Champions League this season. It'd be hard not to see them there or thereabouts at the end of the season. It's going to be very difficult for other teams in the French League to really compete with them financially as well, because we know they lost the league last season to Lille, and Lyon was still strong last season as well, but they've lost their talisman Memphis Depay. So like you said, it's more or less about how PSG can bounce back in the league with Lionel Messi and really go for it in the Champions League coming up as well, because a lot of teams around Europe have been really heavily struck from due to the COVID restrictions, the whole lack of fans, the lack of uh, income, really. So, like, for example, Borussia Dortmund had to sell Jadon Sancho for 73 million. Lukaku, who we'll get onto a bit, is going through the process of his medical. So he's being sold to Chelsea for £97 million as well. And there's a bit more about how English teams have a bit more of an, an advantage because of the TV money as well. So with PSG being that standout in, in France, I would say, they can actually afford to get these players in for free with these high wages, the Donnarumma's, the Ramos, Wijnaldum as well, and Lionel Messi, of course. So it's going to be fun to see how PSG can actually go for that top spot in Europe and actually be a dynasty coming forward in the European game. So that's going to be quite fun for me to see as a neutral. I just hope Man United don't get PSG in the group stages because we haven't won at home against PSG in the last two games that we played them. So I don't really want that to happen at all. Um, Next big transfer I want to talk about was Jack Grealish. So, Neil, we know you're an Aston Villa fan. Connor, we know you're a Birmingham City fan. So, Birmingham City fans are going to have 
uh, fun time for the rest of the season, seeing how Aston Villa fans have literally been in mourning. We know a couple of Aston Villa fans that have been in mourning yeah. Connor, for the last couple of days. So, <laughs> um, again, us at Friday Night Football, we know how many people love Jack Grealish. We know how many people like to play like him. And realistically, for me, as, as, as a Man United fan looking, on, looking in from the outside, I really see it as a, as a good thing that is gone. For £100 million, you can actually rebuild the squad because if you look how Leicester have rebuilt from their sales over the years of Maguire and uh, Mares and Kante, it's benefited them in the long run. It's not going to be something like Spurs back in 2013 where they get the £80 million for Gareth Bale and they waste it all on players. They don't actually build in their infrastructure for the next couple of years as well. So, Neil, let me just hear your thoughts after the dust has kind of settled over the, over the Jack Grealish sale to Manchester City. Yeah, I, up until the news came through that he was leaving, I was still adamant that he was staying. Um, all the talk over the past couple of years of him wanting to play for his boyhood club, he even signed a contract last season for five years, even though Manchester United were interested in purchasing him. It was just a surprise that, OK, he's going to play in Champions League with Man City, but he could have played in the Champions League with Man U last season. So not much has changed between this season and last season other than that we're further on in our progression um, under the new owners. Um, the fact that he's left, I, I'm a bit concerned that he might not fulfil his potential at Man City because he's got a lot of competition there. He may not be able to play um, as often as he would like to. I'm sure that during the Euros, while he was sitting on the bench, he probably thought he was good enough to get on the pitch and a lot of other people thought that, but he had to sit on the sidelines and, he's probably going to get that at Man City with players that are equally as good as him. You've got Raheem Sterling, who he's directly in competition for. If they decide to move him back into more of a central midfield role, they've got Gundogan um, and also um, De Bruyne to compete with. So it's going to be difficult to see exactly where he's going to slot in there and how many games he will get. From Villa's point of view, I think that we've made some good signings but again, these players look good, but it's whether they can cope in the Premier League. That's going to be the real thing. And while we've now got these three good players that have got all the attributes that Grealish had and we've spread it across more parts of the team, we're not reliant on that one person. But it would have been good to have Grealish with those players as well, from a greedy point of view. Connor, what are your thoughts on the Grealish um, sale so far? Do you reckon it's going to be a good thing for him as an England player? Do you think it's going to be bad for him as a Man City player just being another member of that Man City side? And do you really think that Aston Villa can push on this season as well? Again, being a Birmingham City fan. Yeah. Um, from a neutral point of view, well, neutral. <laughs> not not entirely neutral. I do I do think, though, Villa have got the better end of the deal. Because um, I, I kind of you kind of look at Sterling, went to Man City as a young kid and has he arguably not reached his full potential purely because as Neil said you don't get the games and I was thinking the other day you, you've got Sterling you've got who have you got Silva you've got Foden you've got Mares, like then you've got Grealish five players fighting for two positions and they're all arguably world class they're definitely quality Premier League players so Grealish isn't going to walk into that side and like Neil said, if you drop, then Grealish drops back. You've then got De Bruyne. You've got Gundogan. It's it's going to be tough. Is he going to fulfil his potential? Probably not, unfortunately. As sad as it sounds from a from an English point of view. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Villa have got the better end of the deal. Uh, I think I think Ings has been a quality signing. Twenty five million, absolute steal. Um, appreciate he's in his last um, last year of his contract which probably helped with the price. But you only have to look at like players that have been signed from championship in recent seasons. You, you get a, a good top quality championship player for 25 million now. But Villa have got this proven Premier League goal scorer. Bailey's going to be an interesting signing. Um, I really do uh, think he'll be exciting. But I definitely think Villa have got the better end of the deal. I'm glad you mentioned the championship proven players as well because Emi Bundia... Um, who was in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago with Norwich, played really well as a winger in that 4-4-2 system for Norwich. But he's a creative player. So would, do you reckon he would be playing as a number 10 uh, for Aston Villa, uh, Neil? Do you reckon he'll be taking that 
central spot or do you reckon he'll be more of a winger and Bay uh, on the other side sorry I think it depends what happens in the transfer market um, throughout the pre-season he's, he actually was injured for the last game but he's played down the middle in yeah. the in the friendlies that we've had so far and there's talk that Todd Cantwell might be on his way who would be playing on the left wing so if that's the case I imagine he would stay centre but if we, we don't manage to get him I could see Buendia playing on the left Bailey on the right with Ings and um, Watkins up front so I don't think you can really sign Ings and keep him on the bench or even rotate him with Watkins because Watkins had such a good season last season I think you need to try to get them both on the pitch. If we decide that we do want to have one up front, there's always a possibility of Watkins playing out on the left. Yeah. Because he previously played as a winger for Dean Smith and he's shown last season he, he's happy to pull, to come back, to go out wide, to let some of the other players uh, push through. So you may find that he will actually push out to the left and keep things in the middle as a, um, a centre forward. Because that's how I see um, Aston Villa having these problems now. And, they're good problems to have. Like you'd rather have five, six players that you want to fit into a three or a four rather than three that are just going to go into a three or three that are going to go into a two because you know uh, Watkins is going to press from the front and every game is going to still chase down every dead ball. And Danny Ings is someone of the same kind of calibre really in terms of goal scoring, probably even better, I would say, than, than Watkins. But still in terms of work rate, he's done something really good over the last couple of years at Southampton. It's good to see that he's still going to be in the Premier League and is still going to try and push his career a bit further. And hopefully both of them can try and see if they can compete for an England spot in the future as well. Again, I'm talking about England, so it's probably because I'm wearing the shirt and I can see the badge on, on the reflection as well, which is cool. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun to see how Aston Villa play this season with Dean Smith and hopefully some more free-flowing football just with different players. That's how I see it. But no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be too sad about Jack Grealish going. I know he's like a, a boyhood fan. He was your captain. He's done a lot, but I can't tell... And Aston Villa fan how to feel. It's just from my point of view, an objective point of view, I think it's a really good deal from Aston Villa. And you'll reap the rewards for the next few years to come, I believe. Right, the third signing I wanted to talk, to talk about is Romelu Lukaku. And this leads into our Premier League preview. So Romelu Lukaku is someone who, as a Manchester United fan, I adored. I thought he was a great striker, a great goal scorer. Someone who a lot of armchair fans like to complain about his first touch not being the best and putting on weight in his second season after the World Cup. But the fact that he's gone, he's gone to Inter Milan, he's still proved himself as a, as a worthy goal scorer and is coming back to Chelsea, coming back to the Premier League, 28 years old, around £100 million. For me personally, I think that makes Chelsea title contenders and I reckon they could be taking Manchester City all the way to April, May in a proper title race for the first time in a couple of years. So those are my first initial thoughts on Romelu Lukaku uh, almost completing his move to Chelsea. So... Um, Connor, let's hear your first thoughts on Romelu Lukaku. How do you see him as a striker? Do you reckon he's good enough to be back in the Premier League? And do you reckon he'll be, he can be the top scorer in the Premier League? Because I definitely think he can this season. Yes, 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 and yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go one further than you. I'm going to say he's going to win Chelsea the league. I Honestly, I can't look past Chelsea now for the title. I know this is a later topic. I've been saying but, it for a while now as well. Ever but, since Werner's yeah. been their striker... Um, I think literally you just needed a proven goal scorer who could actually do the job and put these chances away. Romelu Lukaku is that proven goal scorer. He's going to hit the ground running. And he's someone that had a decent tournament in the Euros. Obviously, he didn't go through with Belgium in the quarterfinals. But realistically, he is the final piece of that puzzle for Thomas Tuchel in that attack. So sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of how I see it as, as a striker. No, it's all right. I think I think I read a stat. Tammy Abraham was the joint top scorer. I don't know who with was about 12 goals last season. Mm. You put Lukaku up there, he's going to get you 20 goals a season. Minimum. And minimum, yeah. And yeah, I just, like I said, the way they played at the end of last season, you then put Lukaku up top. I just, yeah, I can't see any other team winning it, to be honest. So I, I think it's going to be, he's going to be a quality signing. But I really like how Thomas Tuchel plays because he lets those three attackers kind of just sit up there, press from the front, not really having to come back in their own half because they've got that back five, they've got N'Golo Kante, which is what will suit Romelu Lukaku because he's been like that under Conte where he's had a back five or a back three, however Conte's been playing it. But him and Martinez up front have been saving their legs for running the channels, taking their defenders on one-on-one. And that's something that I believe um, Thomas Tuchel will work in, in Romelu Lukaku's favour, having that kind of system working for him. So having the likes of Havertz, Mount, Pulisic, Ziyech 
behind him, Werner even if he's playing off the striker, it's going to work in Lukaku's favour. Neil, how do you see this transfer going? Do you reckon this is a transfer that brings Chelsea the league back or do you reckon he's still uh, one or two signs away or, or Manchester City are too strong this year? I think that it's a great signing for them. Uh, they purchased work Werner last season. He just didn't seem to be the player that they were expecting. And I think this season they've actually got somebody that can score the goals that they need. I'm still concerned at their defence, though. Really? I feel, that, I feel that they can't play with four at the back. They always have to play with three centre-backs because between the team, they haven't got two strong centre-backs that can play. And because of that, it leaves them more exposed. I know that they have the wing-back systems with Rich James, Chilwell, but I think they could actually perform better with two at the back pushing forward if they had a stronger defence. And I know that we're going to talk about top four later, but I think that the key sign of the season is going to be Varane for Manu. Okay. I just feel that the last couple of seasons, it's been defenders, key defenders that have been purchased that have won the leagues for the teams rather than the strike force. So while Lukaku is good, there was so many times last season that Chelsea just didn't turn up. There was the game on the last game against Villa twice West Brom played them one I think they scored five in the one game yeah Stanford Bridge as well which is crazy yeah and I think there were three nil up at 30 or 40 minutes in the first half and I think it finished three all but again that's not good for a team that was relegated to score that many past you so I think they they need to fix their defense um to be challenging so it, it is a great signing but I think that they need to do something at the back as well that's true. Because you don't really see Cesar Azpilicueta staying as a right-back more or less for the rest of his career because he's comfortable in that right centre-back position and so is Thiago Silva because they have that coverage of Zuma, of Rudiger and Christensen as well. But it's just the fact that they're linked with Jules Kunde from Sevilla and he's been linked with like Man United in the past, Spurs in the past. Um, if, if they get him, that would be great. But is he going to be a bigger addition than Zuma or Rudiger? I don't think so. I think it's just going to be another type of fast, strong centre-backs, but not really someone who can take over Thiago Silva when he ends up retiring or someone that can really play in a back two as well. So it's just going to, we're just going to have to wait and see how Thomas Tuchel plays. If he does go for a back three again, back five, then it's going to work in his favour because he knows what works and what doesn't for Chelsea. But if he does want to go for a back four, like with, with Frank Lampard, it didn't really work for him. And we saw how that worked out for him as well, which was crazy enough for Chelsea fans. Um, so yeah, that was my little topic of the, of the main three signings of the summer so far, uh, of the last week or two, I'd say. We've had like Sancho, Varane, a couple more, Kunate. Um, but let's go on to the Premier League. I'm really happy the Premier League is going to be back. It's going to be fun to see football back every weekend, two, three games uh, on TV, I think, still every day, which will be quite fun to, to carry on with Sky Sports and BT Sport, which will be good. Um, realistically, as, as, a, as, a, as a Man United fan, I'm quite comfortable thinking that we're going to get into the top four this season. Do I think we're going to win the league? I think we can, but I don't think we will. I think there are stronger teams out there and a stronger squads out there as well, because even when you look at last season in the Europa League final, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was reluctant to use his uh, bench and his squad because he doesn't really trust them as of yet. And it's been three seasons since he's been the manager that has had time to get rid of a lot of this dead wood. A lot of these players that don't really turn up not even in the big games, but in like standard uh, Premier League games and League Cup games. And it's quite sad to see because it feels like he's just holding on to some of these players for the sake of holding on. So like uh, Juan Mata, who's an amazing player, he's been an amazing player for Man United and Chelsea in the past. He's like 33, 34 now, and we're still paying him 200k a week or so to be on the bench for 90% of the games besides Carlin Cup games and coming on on the 85th minute after winning 3-0 against Newcastle. So... It's going to be quite hard to see why we haven't really reinvested a lot of the money from our sales or even begun to sell some players like Phil Jones or Andres Pereira. But one thing that does really uh, show some promise is our starting eleven. So like how Neil um, mentioned before, the signing of Rafael Varane is a big signing and it frees up our midfield to not play with two holding midfielders because we have a centre-back who's actually really quick and act- can actually compensate against the strikers like Lacazette. Obama, Yang, Werner, the fast type players like Salah and Mane as well in these big games. So it's something that I'm quite comfortable that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer won't go for nil-nils like he did a lot last season for just going for the draw uh, against Liverpool, against Arsenal, against Chelsea, whoever we play. 
So it's going to be quite fun to see how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sets his team up and let's see if he actually signs one more, one more player. Um, for me, like I said before, I think Chelsea are going to go... I think I'll go for Chelsea top, uh, Man City second, because they do have really good players. But if Man City sign Harry Kane, I think that's the league over for a couple of years. If Kane does go to Man City, then that's game over because Kane hasn't really said much besides a statement. There's no concrete news of, of a move happening, so we'll see what happens there. And I think Liverpool, they're going to be a lot stronger this season. They've had a proper rest. Their players, Salah and Mane, haven't had any African Cup emotions to go to. Virgil van Dijk's on the way back. Kunate's been a big signing for them as well. And I really think they're going to complete the top four. So uh, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, Liverpool are going to be in my top four. But I do believe, obviously, the season's changed all the time, that all four of them have the potential to win the league this season. And if Man United needed a, a motivation to win the league, it would be literally the fact that we spent so much money. Our team has had a proper rest this summer. We really should be going for it. And I don't see why we can't go for it this season. Um, but yeah, those, that's my fir- first initial fir- thoughts on the top four. Neil, let's hear your fir- first thoughts on the top four. How do you see it going? Yeah, I don't think that Kane's going to Man City. Um, there's all this talk of 120, 150 million pounds for him. But if you think about it, that if they can wait one more year for a striker, they can buy Erling Haaland for 63 million, I believe is his uh, yeah. close. So you, you're talking around about 70, 80 million pound difference there. They could have offered Messi a contract last week. I thought um, they should have. It would have been amazing for, to see Messi for, in the for Premier League. For a year or for two years, just to cover the gap until Haaland comes. And that would actually work out a cheap business for them. It's a player that Guardiola already knows. So I think if they had the money, they would have actually spent it last week. I know that they would have spent a huge amount on the wages, but if it's a free transfer, you're not going to be spending more than 50 million for a year uh, for Messi. So I don't think they're going to be bringing a striker in. And because of that, I have a feeling that Man City might not finish in the top two. Yeah, it's really hard to go without a striker for most of the season. Like Man City proved it from like December onwards, from last season, playing like Gundogan in, uh, in that false nine and Foden dropping in Bernardo. But I think a lot of teams have sussed them out how to play against a false nine. So that's going to be quite fun to see how like the lower teams play against them as well, uh, against Pep Guardiola, sorry. From a point of view of starting eleven, I would say that Liverpool and Man U have the two stronger teams. It's just whether they can keep all their players fit. Um, if they don't have any significant injury worries, I would say that it would be Liverpool, Man U, Man City and then Chelsea as my top four. That's promising to hear for Liverpool fans, I would say, because with Liverpool, literally they had that same start in 11 with one or two differences when they won the league. So they kept all their players fit, all their players fresh, including a Champions League campaign and including... Um, I think it was a Carabao Cup campaign to the like fourth or fifth round. So they actually played a lot of games in that title-winning season. So it's just the fact that I reckon Jurgen Klopp can go for it because he's got that energy back in his team again. He's got some of the players back from loans. So I think Harvey, Ell- Harvey Elliott's a youngster that played really well last season for Blackburn on loan. So he's going to be another attacking player to watch out for uh, for the season unless he goes on loan again. So seeing Liverpool in that title challenge, as a Man United fan, it's good to see, but you don't want to see them lifting the trophy in May. Personally, I don't obviously don't want to see them. That's just like the worst of the worst. Um, but no, Connor, how do you see this title race going? How do you see the top four going from yourself? I think, well, I think we're, you both guys have gone with the same top four, but in different orders. And I'm going to do the same. I think Chelsea are going to win it. Um, I think, um, based on what Neil said about a Man City striker, I'm going to go Liverpool second. Mm. Uh, Man City third um, and then Man U fourth but again yep. depending on injuries and how well you guys do in other competitions I might even put Leicester to sneak in there ahead of you again depending on injuries uh, for Man U but I can't see Spurs um, or Arsenal breaking that uh, top four so I think the top four will be pretty set as long as squads stay healthy and fit that's the thing, because Man United have had a, an issue with their injuries over the last couple of years. And even after the season ended, we still had players getting injured like Van der Beek and Henderson. And these were really concerning things. And I reckon we should have invested in a, in a proper medical squad, because when you see how some of these players 
in the lower half of the league actually play um, for like 38 games and the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup and they play every other game. Players like Lewis Dunk or players like uh, Ben Mee, for example, they play every game. But you see, you've seen players like Luke Shaw and um, Alex Tellers being rotated because they can't last the whole game or they're just being too tired to play. And it's quite worrying, really, because you're just like, these are some of the best players in the world, uh, some of the best teams in the world. But unless you had like an injury like Van Dyke, then obviously you can't play. But it's going to be odd to see how injury plays, especially after that year of COVID where we didn't really have a preseason. The fact that we've had a proper preseason, some people have been at the Euro, some people have been at the Olympics and Copa America as well, to see how they actually recover properly and if they recover in time, which will be quite fascinating. But I do want to talk about Leicester before we move on to anywhere else, because with Brendan Rodgers, he hasn't invested properly this summer. Sumara has been a good signing, in my opinion. Dak has been a good signing. The, the injury to Fafana has been quite worrying to see how long he's going to be out for. But he's someone that does rotate between the free, four, free and uh, four, three, three as well. So it's going to be it's going to be good to see how Leicester do this season because again, they're in the Europa League. Again, they missed out on the last day for Champions League football. But Connor, how do you kind of see Leicester City's season going? Do you reckon they have it in them to actually win a trophy? I know they won the Community Shield, but like a League Cup and FA Cup, do you reckon they've got that hunger to kind of go for another trophy again this season? I think yes. They have got the potential to win the trophies as, I mean, a community shield, I know everyone's Mickey Mouse trophy or whatever people call it. But at the end of the day, they won. Mm -hmm. So yes, they have got the potential to win, but I think it their priority will be Champions League football. And I think if they're doing well, so obviously the, the FA Cup doesn't kick in until the turn of the year. The Carabao Cup doesn't get serious until the turn of the year. So I think if they're still in that top four fight at the turn of the year, they may push the Cups aside and say, listen, we, we want this third time lucky to be our chance at Champions League football. So I think they can win a trophy, but if they're doing well and come, come, come the Christmas games, if they're in that top four fight, I fully expect them to prioritise and go, no, we want Champions League football. Yeah, I see that happening as well. It's just one of those things that Brendan Rodgers has to prioritise. But Neil, how do you see that? How do you see Brendan Rodgers as a manager for Leicester? Do you reckon they can keep him for another year or two, or do you reckon he'll have uh, or bigger ambitions elsewhere? Or do you reckon this project is the right one for him because he's getting the money and he's getting the signings he wants as well, which is brilliant. But how do you kind of see this, Neil? Do you reckon anyone can really turn uh, Brendan Rodgers' head over the next couple of years? I don't think there's any jobs really that are going to become available that he could go for. Like if you take Tottenham for example, he, he could have gone there. At um, last season but in the end they went for Nuno so I guess that he will want to move to a um, maybe a bigger team but when he managed um, Liverpool before it didn't quite work out for him yeah. whereas with Leicester their expectations were lower to start with even though they'd already won the league a few years before and he was able to have that time to build and he has made a good squad I think he, he'd probably be best just to stay where he is because he's getting close I think he's going to struggle this season because he's lost Fofana. I think Fofana's out for the whole season. Yeah. So he needs to find someone to replace him because Fofana turned out to be such a great signing when he came in last season um, to cover injury. So it's whether they can uh, keep going from there. But they could do with getting somebody in um, to at the back. If they can do that, they may challenge. But I'm a bit concerned that Spurs may also challenge. So while... Leicester should be considering finishing fifth. It could even be sixth. And if Villa have a good season, they may um, find that Villa are there. You've also got Leeds. So it's going to be tough for them. Um, there's talk that um, James Madison may be going to Arsenal. So again, if they lose Madison, and I imagine that Arsenal should have some money to spend. I know they've already signed Ben White, but given how the other teams are spending money at the moment, there might be a bit more money there for Madison. So if they keep holding Madison, it may go well. But if they start to lose some of their players, they may struggle. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about James Madison as well, for the both of you as well, because even if they kept him for another season, that's still a win for me because it saves them having to fork out for another attacking midfielder with like two, three weeks of a transfer window to go as well. So even if they, if Brendan Rodgers says to Madison, you know what, you're staying for another year, you're not going at all. Next year you can go if you like, but we need you for this season. Help us with the Europa League, help us with the FA Cup uh, uh, challenge again and help us with the top four. 
and see where you go from there. Because Madison will be looking at his mate, Jack Grealish, and thinking, you know what, he's gone off to play for one of the bigger teams in, in England. And he's seen Phil Foden already doing it and Mason Mount doing it. He wants to be that guy to break into the England squad because out of those three, uh, the three of them, they're already in the England squad and Madison isn't. So that's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, does Madison have to leave Leicester for a bigger squad to get considered for an England position, Connor? I don't think he does. Um, Because I think Southgate's been quite good at giving game time to players that aren't in the so-called big four or big six as it is now. Mm. In the way Calvin Phillips played, what, pretty much every game at the Euros. Um, You've got um, Nick Pope in the England squad, uh, Burnley, um, to name a few, Ben White when he was at Brighton. So I don't think you need to be in those big squads now. I think you need to focus on playing football, which is why I said earlier, for Grealish moving to Man City might not be good for England mm. because he might fall out um, a favour if he doesn't start playing and doesn't start playing well in the same way Trent did. He had an amazing season. I don't know if Trent got injured and whatever. He wasn't playing well and it's a completely different picture. But just for being at a big club, he doesn't pick you for England anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think if I was James Madison, I, I wouldn't leave for any just because it's a bigger club as long as you get game time fair enough um but i do see a, a grealish type situation coming along where like you said give us another season and see where it is because otherwise leicester could be in some real uh real tough spot having to replace uh Fofana being injured they've already spent a lot of money yeah they'll get madison's money but with only a couple of weeks left of the transfer window it might be a rush job just to get someone in and then those deals aren't, don't always work out well. Yeah, it's true. And now all of the bigger managers in well, the top 10 managers, I would say Brendan Rodgers is the one that spends with the most care and the most attention to detail. So he wouldn't really want to sell him just yet and then have to make a rush job for an attacking midfielder um, this late in, into the season, well, this early into the season, I would say, which is cool. Um, but yeah, let's move on to a couple of other clubs down the bottom. So I just want to talk about Brentford. I want to talk about Norwich and I do want to talk about um, who's the other one that got promoted? There's Brentford, there's Norwich, and there's Watford as well. So realistically, Brentford are a team that actually excite me the way that they've been playing football over the last year or two. Ivan Tony is a striker who I believe will get an England call up this season because of how prolific he has been. He's had an amazing rise from Northampton to Newcastle uh, after being fallen out of favour at Newcastle. He's at Brentford and he's done very well to see, um, for everyone to see, I should say. Then you've got uh, Norwich who are back up. They're again another yo-yo club like West Brom and Jarvis just keep going up and down every season. You don't know if they're going to stay or go. Todd, Can- Todd Cantwell, if he stays, will that be good for them money-wise or that would be bad because they're losing one of their key players? I, I think Norwich are going to go down personally. Watford, I think they're going to go down as well. I don't think they've invested properly into this squad that's going to really keep them up with the big boys. And I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. I think the third team to actually go down will be Newcastle. I think Newcastle are a team that really should have invested properly. They should have been back. They should have been back in the manager Steve Bruce a lot. I know they bought Joe Willock, who's a really good attacking player, but the, the way that they play football, especially their form last season, without Joe Willock, they really would have just got relegated because they were that bad attacking wise as well. Callum Wilson, St. Maximum, they can't do everything themselves when you've got five at the back and two hold midfielders. So it's like five two and you've got one two up front. So you've got three players up front. It doesn't work well for for Newcastle and it's not as exciting as you want to see Newcastle going but Newcastle, Watford and Norwich are the three teams that I think will be down in the relegation fight. Burnley and uh, Brighton for honourable mentions and Southampton as well. Parson Hussle has got a lot of work to do with replacing Danny Ings as well, replacing those guaranteed goals for the season so we'll see if, uh, if he goes for anyone in particular but Neil, let's start with you. How do you see the relegation fight going this season? Do you have anyone that's really standing out or you're not too sure as of yet? I think if Cantwell moves to Villa, Norwich are definitely down. I, it's going to take a lot for them to, to build around losing both Cantwell and Buendia. Yeah. Um, that's their main strength is their attack and they've just lost their, potentially the best two players. So if that's the case, I would say that Norwich were down. I would also agree with you that Watford would go down but there's another team that I think may struggle I know that they've got a new manager recently and they're starting to buy players but Crystal Palace oh yeah they, Patrick Vieira they, 
Yeah, they've lost uh, a fair few players um, who are out of contract now. Um, they may be able to keep hold of Zaha. I'm not sure what's happening now at the moment, but they may really struggle this season. That happens every year with Wilfred Zaha. He goes in saying he wants to leave in June, but he's always there in August for the re- for the beginning of the Premier League season because no one wants him and no one wants to spend 70, 80 million on Wilfred Zaha because he doesn't give you that much of a return going forward, in my opinion. And I don't think it, it was right for him to kind of do that again this summer, but he did, but it is what it is. And realistically, I, I forgot about Crystal Palace, Neil. I, I really did because I'm always thinking Roy Hodgson's still there. They've still got that solid 4-4-2 unit. But like you just reminded me, a lot of these players have left. Uh, they've lost on free transfers. They couldn't afford their wages. They didn't renew their contracts. So Crystal Palace going down could be a, a, could be a big shout, but I reckon it could be the right shout from yourself. Connor, how do you see the relegation battle going? Well, I'm actually just trying to get the table up because I've got I forgot about Crystal Palace as well. Mm. So I wanted to see what teams that I had forgotten about. Um, I think, sorry, I'm just looking through now. I think Norwich and Watford, for me, are nailed on. Um, purely, like you said, um, Norwich haven't replaced Wendy. Um, they're not going to because that was that's how they run. They're more of a selling club. If they get to the Premier League, they get to the Premier League. Like Farker took them down last time. Most times people get relegated. They end up losing their job no matter how well they did. But Norwich stuck with Farker because mm-hmm. they they know that they didn't spend the money last time. And this time's no different. Um, if they lose Cantwell, like <clears> Neil said, even more nailed on for me. But I can't see them staying up. Uh, same with Watford. The third team to go down, It's I think it's tough. In the past few years, it's been tough because I've been like, oh, I think they're too good to stay up. They're too good. I think now it's who's going to be the worst of a bad bunch. Yeah. Um, it could be anyone. But honestly, my when you, you asked me to come on here a few days ago, my initial first thought was Burnley. Burnley Do you reckon it's their time to go down? I think it is. I think... Is it- they're the great survivors of the Premier League for the last five, six seasons, I would say, since Sean Dyke has brought them up. No, like seven, eight, yeah, seven seasons, seven, eight, I think, yeah. have been up, which is crazy. But they've had the new investment come in. They haven't really spent much and they've not really had many changes. Like Wayne Hennessy came in for free, I think, and I think they've got James Collins, a centre-back from Stoke. But besides that, nothing of real importance, has, no one has, of real importance has come in. And they were looking at um, having potential suitors for Dwight McNeil, who is like the the highly prospects the high prospects left winger, who's still at the club, which is great. But Everton were looking at him. I think Crystal Palace were looking at him. West Ham were looking at him. But it's just one of those things that it could be their time. And with their way of playing, I know they're rugged, they're defensive, they're really good at with that low block in that four four two. But I think it could be time, like you said, they haven't really strengthened. They could be a team that doesn't really challenge oppositions as much because everyone's trying plan A, B and C a lot now. Burnley just have plan A and plan A is the one that just always gets them out of trouble, keeps them 16th, 17th. That one season they finished 7th, which is great, but realistically they, they are going to be down in that relegation fight. Neil, how do you see that? Do you reckon Sean Dyche will keep them up or do you reckon it could be an option where you may have to sign a bit more players to kind of keep them up? in that way? I think if they can keep Dwight McNeil, I think they can stay up. Mm. The thing about Burnley is that they only change their team slightly. They, everybody knows everybody's game. They don't bring in a lot of players. Everything stays quite steady and stable throughout the years. So I think they need to get off to a good start um, to to ensure they stay up. But I think they can. I think they can do it. They've got some quality in their team. Their defense is quite good. They've got one of the best keepers in the league in goal. Um, and they've got a good a few good players elsewhere, so I think they have enough to stay up. Yeah, that that'll be good to see because, um, like realistically, when you think about these teams, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Burnley as well, it's not it's like for me, I see Brentford as really playing as an attacking free flowing football, and I don't think I think they're going to be like the leads of this season. They're going to surprise a lot of people. They've got a proven goal scorer in the championship, and like Connor said earlier, when you've had someone that's played well in the championship. It normally translates to the Premier League. We've seen that with Jack Grealish. We've seen that with Tammy Abraham. Um, we've seen that even with Jude Bellingham, Birmingham City, going from Birmingham City to uh, Bruce Dortmund and to the England squad, perfectly fine. 
it's just one of those things that the championship is a lot more of a stronger league going forward as well. Um, before we go on to the signings of the seasons, uh, Connor, I just want to know a bit more about Birmingham City, how they're looking for this season ahead, how um, the team is looking, because I'm not going to lie and pretend like I know my stuff about Birmingham City Football Club. So that's why I thought it'd be nice to just get a bit of Birmingham City before we move on to our transfers of the season, how that's going to go and all of that. But let's just hear about how Birmingham City are doing this year. Optimistic. Um, I have been for the past few years now and it's all gone wrong. <laughs> um, but we had a big win first game of the season at Sheffield United. Uh, we went there and won 1-0. Um, and I like Lee Bowyer as a manager. I think we're, we've had a few managers now that have come in and tried to play football, tried to play expressive, attacking, attack-minded play and it just hasn't worked. And I think we're a club we're more suited to the work hard, grind out results. Mm-hmm. And that worked under Rowett. Um, it then worked under Gary Monk. Um, but then our owners, they just don't like that football. So we're kind of stuck in this cycle of you get a manager in that gets results but doesn't play well. Let's sack him for a manager who then plays good football but doesn't get the results. And then you're just going around. But optimistic for this season. Um, we haven't really sold key players which we have in the past few years and we've we've not spent money but we've strengthened with a few good free signings um chuck zaniki uh jordan graham who i'm speaking to neil i believe neil i don't know if it was neil now so he's uh, chong on loan as well uh man united he, he got loaning. man of the match didn't he on friday uh, saturday night so we've got some we've got some good players coming in so i think if we can like get it together i think we can uh, I don't think we'll go up outside chance of the playoffs, maybe, but I think I'll just be happy with a solid mid-table, nowhere near relegation, and let's just build. Um, we're playing tonight against Colchester, and now I've said all this, we're going to lose, but it's nil-nil, so... Yeah, it's all good. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get you back for the second half. We'll get you back for the second <laughs> half, it's all good. But we haven't missed anything in that nil-nil, so it's perfectly fine as well. Um but yeah, it was nice to kind of hear that because like I like hearing about different teams and different players and different managers. Like I never thought Lee Bowyer as a player would be a good manager from seeing him at, at Birmingham and Newcastle. And to, to be fair, if he's doing really good and he's won already and you're going for playoff positions, it's going to be good to see how Birmingham City do. And as a neutral fan, I do like seeing Birmingham City versus Aston Villa as the West Midlands derby because West Brom is a boring team to watch and Wolverhampton just are a boring team. Like fans wise, not like in terms of gameplay, but in terms of fans, like the Villa, the Villa Derby is Villa versus Birmingham for me. You can say Black Country Derby and all of that, but the Birmingham Derby is the one that just gets me excited as a fan. It's like the Glasgow Derby, the Old Firm Derby is something I'll watch whenever it's on because it's just fun to watch because it's, it's actual passion. Man, you don't get that in many derbies these days because even with Man United, Man City, you don't see intensity like you used to once upon a time. It's really annoying that. Yeah, can't see the derby happening for a while though. We're not going up, Villa aren't going down, so could be an FA Cup this season. Third yeah. round or, or fourth yeah. round in the League Cup or something. Well, we've got to beat Colchester first, so <laughs> Ooh, Colchester, let's see how Colchester do against Birmingham. Um but yeah, let's get into the transfers of, of this year because excluding Europe and the rest of the world, Premier League, they've kind of done a lot of shrewd purchases and a lot of shrewd loans this year as well, which has been good to see and I'm not even talking about the big clubs. I'm talking about the smaller clubs and people like Billy Gilmore's gone on loan to Norwich and uh, Wolves assigned Trincao, that that young prospect from Barcelona as well. So it's going to be good to see how these kind of players settle in. And I believe Areola's gone from uh, PSG to West Ham because they signed Donnarumma, so he wasn't going to spend his time on the bench there as well. But I believe there's a lot of really good talent besides one or two teams that haven't really spent that well or signed that well. I mean, Emmanuel Dennis is probably the best signing I can see for Watford. They signed Danny Rose and Josh King, but they're still lacking a couple of players for me as well. Spurs haven't really done that well. They've got Romero, who's a centre-back, but is Romero another Davinson Sanchez? Romero, I've seen at Atlanta, has been good, but in like a back-free system uh, that they've been playing recently as well. But uh, Neil, you mentioned earlier that Rafael Varane is probably your sign of the season. Do you want to just explain to us why you think he's probably the guy that's going to stand out um, as your sign of the season. Do you reckon he'll settle into the Premier League okay? He's going to be okay with uh, Lindelof, Bailly, Maguire as partners? 
and really with uh, like Matic, McTominay, Fred in front of him as holding midfielders. How do you kind of see that going for Rafael Varane? I think he'll slot in perfectly. Uh, over the last couple of years, Man United have had the the solid left side of defence with Maguire and Shaw, but the other side has um, been a, very weak. Yeah. Uh, Wan Bissaka is still developing, so he will get better. But having Lindelof next to him, he was always going to struggle um, with Varane at centre back. Now that will give uh, Bissaka Wan Bissaka more. Um, a freedom to go up the wings. He knows that he's got a lot um, better defence behind him. So I think that that will allow Man U to be a lot more attacking this season. O- over the last two or three years, you've seen the when the big teams get the defence right, it wins the league for them. So Liverpool were never anywhere near the top of the league. But as soon as they got Van Dijk at the back, they won the league with him. Man City dropped the league um, a couple of years ago when they lost company and hadn't replaced him. They spent millions on trying to find that right defender. Last season, they signed Diaz, won the league again. So I think that Man U will give it a real push this season because their defence is going to be solid. And that's one of the reasons why I said that Liverpool will do really well because with Van Dijk back, he plays like two defenders on his own. So it gives um, Trent and Robertson freedom to practically play as wingers because he's that good at the back. But I would say that Varane is giving uh, Man U what Van Dijk would give Liverpool. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because like, we've always heard that expression, attacks wins you games and defence wins you titles. I mean, you saw that at Hoff when we literally just capitulated and we lost 6-3 to the Iron Warriors. So... That was quite funny when our defect, uh, defense uh, capitulated. But realistically, as as you just said, it's actually happened in the past where the defender has been the main difference. The signing of a, of a brand new defender has been the guy that has really turned this team from title contenders to title winners. So it's going to be good to see how Varane does and to see how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually plays with that midfield in front of Varane. If he still plays with two hold midfielders with Fred McTominay or if he does go for a holding midfielder, and he does allow Paul Pogba to sit in that centre mid again as opposed to playing on the left wing, which will be which will be quite fun to see. Connor, how do you see the best signing of the summer? Who is the best signing of the summer so far for you? And why do you think they've been the best signing of the summer for yourself? It's a tough question. Uh I was I I would agree with Neil, but then that's boring, isn't it? So <laughs> um we'll go for second best. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick with United and go with Sancho. Because, really? Yeah, purely because I feel like the upgrade he brings from Daniel James, um, I don't even know who else they have. in that Greenwood part. and Matter. they're the other right-wingers. Even Greenwood, I don't feel like he's a, he's, he's a very good, exciting player. But I think he's not... He's been kind of square peg in a round hole to get him in the team at times mm-hmm. so I think purely on the upgrade I'll go Sancho um, Lukaku is going to be big I'm from a neutral perspective I'm going to be excited to see Bailey play um, for Villa yep. uh, Ings as well and you mentioned Trincao I thought that was a massive signing for Wolves um, but I think I'm going to go Sancho I think he just edges it yeah I think for once Man United the fans are going in with a lot of optimism, a lot of expectation this season as well, because we've seen signings in the summer of last season where we had players that just kind of went around our squad, likes of Tellez and Van der Beek and Cavani. They weren't guaranteed starters, and it was quite worrying to see how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going from buying proper starters like Wan Bissaka and Maguire from the season before to last summer. But now he's actually gone for players that are actually improving the first team. And when you improve the first team, the people that are there already, they're like, oh, I've got to kind of step my game up and really uh, compete for my place because I don't want to lose it, which will be which will be fun to really understand how Man United will, will play this season. Like I said, if they're going to stick with, a, with the two double pivot or they're going to go for a midfield three and allow Paul Pogba or even Van der Beek to start in centre mid behind Bruno Fernandes or even together Bruno Fernandes and play a bit more free-flowing football. There's a few good signings for me that I've seen. Trincao is a, is a fun player that I've enjoyed watching for Barcelona in the Champions League last season. He's someone that I believe will have a good career and is someone that will do really well. But if Wolves is the right team for him, I, I'm not too sure because they've got Pedro Neto, they've got Jimenez, Adama Traore. He may just be another bench player for them. I don't want him to be, but I think he might be. 
Uh, ben White going to Arsenal. I think that's a really good signing. Ben White kind of needed that um, needed that that move, I think, from from Brighton. But even Brighton, they've got what Dunk, they've got Webster, they've had pretty good centre backs. Are probably better than Ben White. It's just because he's younger and is and is someone that has got a lot more potential to build. If Arteta can get that out of him, because they spent a lot on Saliba two three seasons ago, and he still hasn't played a game for them. I think he's gone on loan out somewhere else as well, which is crazy. But with me, my sign of the season, it's going to be a shock for a few people. But for me, my sign of the season is, how can I explain it? I, I, I won't explain it in, in, an, in an odd way, but how can I explain it? I don't know how to explain it. I, I'm never tongue-tied. I'm really never tongue-tied. But basically, I think the player that's going to be the best player, best sign of the season is Ibrahima Kunate for Liverpool. I'm going to give myself a minute because I chose a Liverpool player. Take all the time you need. Oh, man. Like, it, it, I struggled saying that. But when you look at, on, on paper, I know, on paper, on FIFA, and you look at the defence of Alexander-Arnold, Kunate, Van Dijk, and Robertson, who's recently got injured, so that's quite worrying for them. They'll probably play Milner left-back or that Greek left-back whose name I forgot or can't pronounce properly. But Ibrahima Kunate... He's someone that could actually be leading in defence for the next five, ten years because of how young and how mature he's played for Salzburg and should really be pushing for bigger bigger games. And I'm glad he's, he's got that Liverpool move from an objective point of view. But from a Man United point of view, if you're looking at the defence of Kunate and Van Dijk, not many people are getting past them pace-wise because they're both pacey centre-backs. Not many people are beating them in the air because they're both ridiculously huge, talented centre-backs and they know how to play the game, they know how to win those dirty tackles. And how do you get past them? Like, Neil, how, how would you get past them if you're looking at Aston Villa with Ings, Watkins, uh, Bailly as your front three and you've got Kunate, Van Dijk, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I know Alexander-Arnold is weak defensively or weakest link defensively, but that pairing is something, something scary. For me personally, like I wouldn't want to go to Anfield and play against them and go one nil down and try and get get past them. That's difficult for me. But how would you see that, Neil? Kunate and Van Dijk. You can't go head to head against teams like that. You have to just soak up the pressure, let them uh, lead a high line, halfway line, and just hope for the best. If you've got players at Villa like um, Watkins, Bailey, who are really fast, you'd like to think that you could beat them on the break. Yeah. Um, but that's the only way you're going to do it. If you go 1-0 down against these teams, you're going to struggle to get back. They may lose a bit of concentration. You may get a free kick or um, get a corner, something like that, where you might get a goal. But realistically, you just need to soak up the pressure as long as you can and try and sneak a goal somewhere, smash and grab. But it's not going to be very easy for the teams. And that's... uh, the reason that I think like with Man U, um, you've both at Man City to some extent and at Liverpool, their defence is they're just that good that you can't you're not gonna break them down. You just have to find alternative ways of going about it, like you said, change of tactics, maybe change of formation even, just to uh, get past them. Connor, how would you how do you see that defence of Liverpool with Kunate Van Dijk at centre back? Would that be something that even the best of attacks, even the best of attacking managers will struggle to get past the season? On paper, like you said, yes. It's a very good defence. Uh, like Neil said, you can't go up against it. You go up against it, you'll you'll lose. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it actually works like that, who knows? Um, but you could almost see a kind of Puyol-PK kind of partnership. you got the older one teaching the younger one and then the younger one becomes the main man, like you said, in five or ten years. Yeah. It, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for anyone going against it. You hit them on the break. I think you used Villa as the example. I think Villa have got the pace to hurt them on the break. But if you turn around and said, I don't know, Watford, Burnley. Palace, uh, Everton. Palace, yeah. Everton, yeah. West Ham. Those teams can't break on many, many other teams. So it's going to be hard for teams like that. You, you're going to settle for a nil-nil or a set piece. And yeah, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. 
it's going to be exciting as a as a neutral point of view to see how these teams go but as a man united fan i can't look at liverpool in a neutral point of view at all as a host of a podcast i can but when i'm off the podcast i'm like for god's sake this liverpool team is going to be crazy to play against um what we'll do to finish off the podcast we won't do a six aside because we kind of mentioned like six or seven uh signings already who have been pretty good and it won't be making much sense but like six seven attackers in I just want to know who you think will be the top scorer of the Premier League this season because I'm still not convinced with Obama Yang. I don't think Obama Yang is going to have a good season personally for Arsenal. I don't like him as a left winger and I'm not sure if Lacazette's going to be the guy to kind of keep firing Arsenal to um, European qualification because they missed out last season as well, which is an awful one. They've become more of a cut team than anything really, which is, which is awful to see. Harry Kane as a striker for Tottenham if his head's going to be in it, first game of the season against Manchester City, if he does move to Manchester City, if he doesn't, what's he going to do for us the season? Is he going to sulk? Is he going to be that guy that's going to be like putting out statements all the time? Mikhail Antonio, fully fit again for West Ham, if he's actually going to score some goals and be their main striker because they haven't really secured a proper striker besides Antonio next year. So it's going to be odd to see how they go attacking-wise as well. But for me, I think it's going to be Lukaku, Vardy, and I'm going to throw in, who else can I throw in? Lukaku, Vardy, and I'm going to go for Tony, Ivan Tony. Mm. Mm. Lukaku would kill it. Obviously he will because it's Lukaku. I was thinking of Ings for a second, but I was like, Ings and Watkins, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But Tony, I think he'll be the main goal threat for uh, Brentford. He's my fantasy football pick as well. And yeah, Jamie Vardy is just Jamie Vardy. He did it last season. He's going to carry on doing it. And, we love Jamie Vardy. Well, I love Jamie Vardy anyway. Connor, how do you see the uh, Golden Boot race going? I think I agree with Lukaku. Mm. Um, he will definitely be up there. I think Kane will be up there. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's teams that you think are going to do well, and it's you got to pick their main striker, which is why Ings will be good. But like you said, is he going to be challenging Watkins for a starting place? Is he going to be playing week in, week out? He's had trouble with injuries. I think he's going to be good, but I don't think quite good enough for the golden boot. Um, I, I have a feeling it's one of the Liverpool lads are going to do well, Sal, uh, Salah or Mane. Um, I was going to go Salah. So I think I'll go Lukaku, Salah. And then I'm going to go a bit, a bit wild. I'm going to go Cavani. I'm going to go that Manu have got the, the team around him now. And if he plays regularly, I think he'll get goals. That's the thing. Like, I don't think he's going to play regularly because I don't see as a Man United fan who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to start in that striking position. Greenwood, Cavani or Martial. And we've seen half of Greenwood, half of Martial in pre-season, like one half each kind of playing as a striker. But no Cavani. So I know he's given him a proper rest and time of his family back in Uruguay, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for Cavani. But... I'm still uncertain about how they're going to play with that centre-forward role. It's going to be odd to see how it goes. One person that I've, I've forgotten is Raul Jimenez because he's going to come back from that horrible injury he suffered against Arsenal last year. So hopefully, again, from an objective point of view, he comes back back in form like he was doing all the time, scoring headers, scoring tap-ins and being that classic number nine for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Neil, how do you see the Golden Boot race going for yourself? It's really difficult to see past. There's a group of around about four or five players that you, you've mentioned. I think that you're likely to find that Lukaku will finish top. My heart might overall my head here, but I think that Ings could finish second. Could do, could and do. And I, I have a feeling that Kane's not going to have a very good season because I think he wants to move. I don't think it will happen. And I think he'll get a bit unsettled. So I don't think he's going to finish in the top I would say Vardy but as a rank outsider that might sneak into the top three I would go for Patrick Bamford so I think he's played really well he still needs to prove himself to Southgate so he's going to want to score some more goals so I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't close um, to the top Bamford will be a good one because he had his, his seasons in the Premier League before with Middlesbrough and on loan at Norwich and it didn't really work for him but under Bielsa he's been the main striker for them he barely had a rest last season and they're a, they're a fit bunch Leeds United don't don't caption that but they're a physically fit bunch like they can play murder ball 
38 games long all season and they've done it from last season, which is crazy. So the fact that that team works hard like mad is going to be good to see how they work for Patrick Bamford in that team. They've signed Jack Harrison officially as well, that other winger. So he's gone from Man City to Leeds on an official transfer as well, which will be good to see how their attack and play goes, which will be which will be exciting because I'm excited for the Premier League season. It's going to start this weekend. It's going to be good to see. And um, I think that's it for our preview. I think we're all good unless Connor or Neil have anything more to add or did you want to say anything else? We're all good. No, I'm, I'm just making sure that we're not losing. Yeah, we're not losing. <laughs> uh, that, still no nil. Still no nil for Birmingham. That's good. We'll take a point for Birmingham City. Attack when, wins your games, defence wins your titles. Keep the clean sheet, 1-0. That, that should literally be like our premise for Friday Night Football and we're back on Friday. I can't wait for, for Friday Night Football. Um, both of you stay after the recording ends. I'm going to show you a couple of videos which will, which will like, be quite fun. Everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy our YouTube highlights of our GoPro Friday Night Football. Enjoy our show. Check it out when we go through our kit reviews. And um, enjoy the season ahead. It's going to be fun. Whoever you're predicted to win, let us know in, in our comments from this, from this podcast going forward. Um, realistically, it's going to be a sad season. It's going to be a happy season. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be drama, VAR drama, XG drama, manager drama, player drama, the lot of it. But we wouldn't change it for the world. And the best thing is fans are back in stadiums. Fans are back in stadiums. I'm so happy. We're all so happy. I'm pretty sure the three of us on the pod are going to be going to a couple of games a season and we're going to enjoy it as proper fans should. Not watching it on TV, not really following it on our phones, but as a fan in the stands, enjoying it properly. So everyone listening, enjoy the season ahead. Take care and goodbye.